Olá pessoal, tudo bem? Welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today we're kicking off season two of the podcast and launching a new video format for YouTube. I'm joined today by two very special guests. We have Karin Duque, who's the head of policy at Bitso Brasil, and also Julian Dutra, who is the head of government relations at Mercado Bitcoin. Both Julian and Karin spearheaded the effort to pass legislation in December of last year that will establish a regulatory framework for cryptocurrency businesses operating in Brazil. This legislation was seven years in the making, so getting this over the finish line and signed into law, given the current market conditions, was a massive win for the industry, both in Brazil and globally. So we are going to dive into this new law, what it aims to accomplish, what the next steps are with regards to implementation. And we're also going to get some color on how this all came together behind the scenes. Julian and Karen, thank you so much for being here. Seja muito bem-vindo. First, let's do some quick introductions. Uh, Karen, why don't you give us a bit of background on who you are and how you came to work in public policy at Bitso Brazil? Thanks so much for joining us both. No, thank thank you for hosting for hosting me and providing us at Bitso the opportunity to discuss such as such an important uh, subject matter for us, which is regulation. A little bit of background on myself. I have been with Bitso for eight months. I joined um, the 1st of June last year, um, but I've been actually working with policy for um, 12 years. I actually got to meet uh, Julian in my first job here in Brasilia. We can tell the story later on, um, but I've been living in Brasilia and working with policy since 12, uh, 2012. Um, and with technology for um, a little bit of half of that, uh, started my gigs in technology, working for a ride-hailing company called Didi Shushin, um, that was actually by the time a Brazilian startup that was acquired by Didi later on, which is an Uber competitor. So I worked really intensely on a ride-hailing um, debate here in Brazil, um, approving a federal law that actually regulated those types of services. Um, then I joined Google. I stayed uh, with them for three years, debating internet regulation. And um, because I do believe that Web3 is the future of internet, I decided to join B2 and start that gig on, on this Web3 role, which is actually super excited. So thank you for hosting us here and providing the opportunity to debate that. And uh, Julian, over to you. And I want to hear the story also about how you both were sort of frenemies in a previous job, sort of a previous uh, political battle. So, but Julian, over to you. Yeah, yeah, Aaron, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here with you and Karin. Karin is a great friend. Uh, I think it, both of us are addicted to democracy because uh, democracy is the path to, to build good and balanced public policies. I've been working for uh, government affairs for 21 years, and I started... And in some consultancy companies, helping the private sector to deal with the, the government. And after that, I worked for telecom, uh, for tobacco industry, where I know and I started to work with Connie. <laughs> That's a, a great story for both of both of us. And uh, after that, I joined a technology company, data technology company. Uh, actually, it's a credit bureau company, the Serasa Experian. And after that, I, I got so much so much passion for technology, and uh, it's it's difficult to uh, to think uh, other sector than technology to the capacity of uh, changing people's lives. So uh, I've been working for Mercado Bitcoin now. Uh, for one year and one month, uh, the 2TM group, and uh, was a pleasure to work to to establish a balanced uh, legal framework for the crypto in Brazil. And it's it's just about to start. That's the truth. Perfect. Thank you for that. Um, so let's start by discussing this new law and what it actually entails. Do you want to start, uh, Karen, by giving us a, a bit of an overview of just what this law is? from a high level, what it aims to accomplish. And then uh, we'll kick it over to Julian for, for some extra color as well. Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think that there are a few highlights of the of the law that are important for us to have in mind. Um, probably the first one is the definition of what is crypto. I mean, taxonomy is important when we talk about law. Um, so we do define what this is going to mean when it comes to the, 
the internal regulatory framework and, and uh, while defining it, we actually follow international discussions and good trends that we have internationally when it comes to building taxonomy of crypto. Um, it is a fairly broad definition, which is not bad in the end, because it's something, I mean, uh, that we're still trying to understand as society. So if you have a really um, well-structured, close definition of things, um, you might, in the end, struggle um, technology, and that's something that the Brazilian law didn't do. The, the second important point for me is that the law recognized the legitimacy of crypto business, which is important to provide the state stamp um, on something that you can do. Even though it was not um, prohibited in the past, it is important uh, to provide uh, state level stamp and um, give society the assurance that investing in crypto is actually legal. Um, so legal certainty for um, crypto business and also for clients, for investors, for companies, for the ecosystem in general, it's something that uh, the law provides and that's really important for the business uh, side of things. It establishes also an authorization process for exchanges to operate in Brazil. And that's actually super important because in the end, um, you have the regulator, which we don't know who is going to be yet, even though the market has an expectation of being the central bank. Uh, so you, you give the regulator the ability to actually um, approve or not exchanges to be able to operate in Brazil. And that's going to come through secondary regulation. We will establish how this registration process will work. But that's important because you, in the end, you have a point of contact to which you can debate um, the practices in the market if you are a regulator. And that's something really important to actually provide transparency for users as well. Then I guess um, one of the, the, the other important points for me are the guidelines. So the law provides and establishes general guidelines for the exchanges to operate. And uh, we're talking about guidelines on governance, uh, risk-based approach, data protection, um, safety, consumer protection, anti-money laundering practices, and so on and so forth. And those guidelines will serve as a line for the regulator, which again, we do expect to be the central bank, to actually provide more details on how these practices are going to be needed to be applicable in the market. So um, I always give the, the, the authorization process as a tangible example for people to understand. So we know that exchanges will need to register. We don't know how this is going to happen. And the central bank will let us know how this is going to happen. And the same thing will happen for money laundry, anti-money laundry practices, data protection, safety, and so on and so forth. And last but not least, it creates penalty for those who commit fraud using crypto. Um, which is, it's an interesting way to actually say that we are going to be restrictive when it comes to bad practices in, in that market. And that's important for us, not because it wasn't a crime before, because it was already a crime, uh, but since it is a market that historically is connected to, um, un, 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 unjustly connected to bad practices, it is important for us to have a public narrative of actually punishing people who use that great system with great external uh, positiveness to actually commit crimes. Got it, got it. Thank if, you for if, that overview. If Julian wants to compliment me on something, I probably forgot. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very complex process. Yeah, Julian, so anything you want to add to that or, or um, yeah, or compliment or, or, or highlight? What, what I see here, it's so much, much, much passion from Karen to explain the law. So it's, uh, it's, it's full of a completely explanation. So I just, I just wanted to put some, some color here in terms of uh, uh, understanding the, the economic scenario for crypto uh, globally. When you see crypto as an alternative for the people, as a, uh, a products and alternative products of financial or financing or, or investment, uh, uh, we have some some external effects. I mean, uh, the speculation. This is a a great uh, systemic risk for the echoes, for the ecosystem for crypto. So to combat and to struggle against some of these systemic risks, uh, the legislators uh, started to understood to to understand uh, how to tackle it. And uh, they impose some of the rules uh, to attack directly these systemic risks. I mean, 
money laundering and frauds. Here in Brazil, we have a, a very strong financial system. So taking into account, taking into uh, this as, a, as an example for the ecosystem, for crypto ecosystem, we can get some of the good examples to protect consumers, to protect investors. So what, what is the law at all? It's as a general framework, legal framework. And uh, the main objective here is to protect investors and protect consumers. That's it. Great. Thank you for that. Super helpful. Um, great context from both of you there. So let's so let's kind of dive into some of the 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 the, uh, the theater of like how this all came to be. So as I mentioned in the intro, uh, crypto legislation in Brazil has been in the works since basically since like 2015 for for quite a long time. It wasn't until late 2021 when things really began to get serious, which is when the Chamber of Deputies passed an initial version of the legislation in, this, in, in December of that year. And then that set the stage for a pretty eventful uh, 2022. Uh, and Julian, this is about when you came onto the scene in about January 2022 of last year. So I'd like for you to walk us through kind of what happened, uh, you know, kind of starting when you came on board with, with MB and 2TM. And you know what was in that initial chamber bill? What happened after it was kicked over to the Senate in early 2022? And uh, how did that ultimately uh, end up getting passed in the Senate? Yeah, sure. Uh, when I joined uh, uh, MB, the 2TM group, uh, I saw a great involvement of a central bank to pass the legislation in the end of the 2021. When they got strong involvement, we saw uh, the bill passing very fast through the, the Chamber of Deputies because uh, uh, there, there was no, no uh, consensus of uh, what kind of a bill needed to pass. But uh, the legislators and the decision makers at all, they, they learned a lot how to uh, discipline technology in Brazil. It's, it's very important not to, uh, to put the, the way, the end way in there to, to build a, a public policy. As it's, uh, it's, it's, it has a very, uh, a very strong risk to impose some obstacles to technology to develop markets. So they understand that we need to, to work with principles and guidelines, like Karin said, and uh, impose some uh, uh, measures to combat the systemic risks. Uh, so having this, this tax passed at the, the Chamber of the Deputies, the first thing that I, that I notice is to understand, uh, uh, because in spite of the fact that we have uh, uh, both houses independent, we need to understand the scenario, the political scenario. Uh, I mean, uh, what, what, uh, what was the, the relationship between the houses in terms of this policy? And we understood that we need to respect the independency of the Senate because the Senate had three bills to, uh, for crypto to, uh, to be evaluated at the economic uh, committee there. So... Uh, we decided to make some dialogues with the presidency of the Senate to put in hold the bill that passed at the Chamber of Deputies and hold and wait the independency of the Senate to uh, evaluate the other uh, bills uh, that was in process there. So taking into account, they took the three bills and uh, they decided to put in one draft and passed at the, the economic uh, committee, and uh, they they headed to the plenary to uh, attach to the other bill from the, the chamber of deputies. So taking uh, this situation, uh, one of the things that I missed was why not build a great coalition between uh, the industry the industry associations uh, to put some force to push forward the bill 
and to create the awareness, necessary awareness for the senators to uh, approve the bill as fast as they can. So they 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 passed the legislation very fast, I think, on April, and uh, had it be, uh, returned to the, the the chamber of the deputies. So when came uh, when when it returned to the the chamber of the deputies, we faced some of problems of. Uh, 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 political scenarios like the elections and the other things that we discussed at that time. So, Karin, if you want to put some other comments here. Great. So, so basically what happened in the Senate was that the, the Senate already had there's these three separate bills that were being uh, had been crafted and that were being reviewed by different committees or, or this this economic committee within the Senate. And then those those were ultimately passed through the committee level and they were attached to the the legislation that passed the chamber exactly. in December of 2021. And then that's and then that's kind of Karen, where that's where, where you come in, right? Because you joined Bitso right about right around this time. Um, so when you when you when you sort of you joined and you you sort of thrown right into the fire, I suppose, what was the the scenario like when you uh, when you <laughs> what, what was your <laughs> you know, baptism by fire, I suppose, I, I guess. But uh, how, how, what was the scenario on the ground like when you first joined? Yeah, I had to democratically disagree with Julian when I joined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so look, the, the overall, I mean, one thing that struggled me um, positively, actually, was that the overall, I'm, 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 we're defending and making advocacy for companies. Um, we have a tendency, and then Julian, please correct me if you think I'm not correct, but we have a tendency of often uh, do not be proactively wanting to approve of you. Our tendency is also to try to re reject them. Um, so in this case, it was surprising for me that the perception of BITSO towards regulation was actually positive. Because in the end, we do believe that it's essential to provide, to be able to provide trust, to provide transparency to users and few countries in the world have crypto regulation uh, framework. And so this scenario kind of forces exchanges to proactively acquire licenses um, or to try to fit into structure that do not necessarily would fit for crypto uh, for crypto companies. So in the end, we saw it as an opportunity to build a framework that would make sense for us that are already an end-to-end -end regulated operation, um, but under different jurisdictions, we have different licenses. So building that in Brazil was kind of perceived as an opportunity. Um, so that was something that struggled me when I, when I joined um, the company. We saw it in a positive manner. Of course, we saw a few points of, of improvement, um, and that's where me and, and, and Julian had to um, politely disagree in, in the beginning, but we got to a good point uh, after, after a few months of, of debating it. Um, the, the, main, the main point of tension for us, um, and that was something that I worked a lot when I joined Bito, was the so-called transition rule, or like we call it internally, because I think it's easier to understand the zero days rule, um, which created in the end um, a new obligation for companies to have a specific uh, tax ID uh, specifically related to crypto. Um, and in our, in our view, even though we have a tax ID in Brazil, Bito does have that. Uh, creating a new obligation for a company, something that needs to have time for companies to adjust um, for internal planning, fiscal matters, and so on and so forth. Um, so what we were actually um, aiming in the end with that transitional rule was just to have time to adjust. Um, and I mentioned that we agreed um, after a few time, after a few months of discussion, because in the end, we understood that we agreed on the principle and on the motivation. It is important for companies to have tax ideas in Brazil uh, for several reasons, for um, contact issues, for uh, fiscal issues, for uh, being able to debate with regulators and so on and so forth. Um, so we agreed on the principle and on the motivation. And we understood that a few, um, after a few months of, um, of, um, of positive debate. Uh, the, the rapporteur actually removed that from the final draft, um, which does not mean that companies will not need to have a tax ID in Brazil because the regulator will, uh, will probably require that in the registration process. So in the end, this is actually going to be a requirement. Uh, we'll just have time to adjust, which was something that we actually, we actually um, um, advocated a lot. Um, my, so I mean, can, I, can I double click on that really quick? So it wasn't, as far as my understanding was, it wasn't as the, the transition rule or however we want to refer to it as, wasn't necessarily, but like whether, 
exchanges operating in Brazil should or should not have a tax ID. It was more of like, when would they need to have that tax ID to begin operating in Brazil? Is that, am I, am I, am I understanding that correctly? Or is there more nuance yes. here that I'm missing? Yes, yes and no. Um, so there is, there is not a requirement for companies to have a tax ID in Brazil in the current law that we approved. But there is a requirement for companies to be authorized to operate. And we do assume um, that the central bank, being the regulator, um, it's going to necessarily require those companies to have a tax ID in order for them to register. So even though it's not written in the law, uh, we do assume that this is going to be a secondary regulation provision that will come as a good practice for the market. Got it, got it. Um, Julie, do you want to add anything on this transition rule? I know this was a bit of a hot topic back in the summer. Um, is there any, was there anything, any other call you wanted to add on this? Yeah, yeah, we... We politely disagree at that moment, <laughs> but was uh, completely necessary. We were living in a moment of the uh, uh, market was suffering a lot. And it, it, there was, was one point that, it, that we consider uh, uh, a, risk, a systemic risk was the uh, unfair competition. Some of the great players, they, did, they don't have uh, a legal entity registered in Brazil. So that was one of the main concerns. And I, I explained to, to Karen a lot at that time, and she understood very well, because Bitso is, is legally registered in Brazil. So we tried to struggle against the unfair competition. So at that moment, in, in we were uh, on a rush because we know that we were about to pass through a, a election period in Brazil. So we, we were in a rush. We tried to pass very fast because we, we, we tried to avoid the election period. Because after the election period, it was, uh, would be a very, very difficult to, to approve. But we, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't lose our, our beliefs, right, Connie, to, to approve. And we believe it until the end of the 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 the, uh, the match, and the try we try to 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 push it uh, in the end of the year. So, at that moment, we were in a rush, and it tried to pass very fast and to combat very strongly the the unfair competition. That that was we we tried to push this this uh, 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 transitional uh, rule. Well, one thing, Aaron, you gotta know about me and Julian is that we are two believers. Uh, we go up to the end. Amazing, amazing. I can tell. I can definitely uh, bleeding the the true believer blood here. So nicely done. Um, so going back here to to the to to June twenty twenty two here, kind of going back in time. You know, I remember I first got the news. I think I was at Consensus in Austin, the the CoinDesk conference when I heard the news that Expedito Neto, who was the, the deputy, who was the rapporteur for the, to the bill in the House, basically, how would you, how would you translate rapporteur into English? Because like, like in the U.S., we don't really necessarily call it like a rapporteur. Relator. Or like a, um, like kind of like a, like a sponsor, like a main sponsor, but or the person Before, who's yeah. <laughs> responsible for, for sort of shepherding the bill. Uh, we don't really have like a direct translation that we use in the U.S., I don't think, but um but basically, this this guy Expedito Neto, who was the the main deputy responsible for this legislation, uh, it, it, he took the legislation that came over from the Senate, and because the Senate had made these changes, they'd added in these changes from uh, these committee bills that you had mentioned, Julian. Uh, the, the the full text had to come back to the Chamber of Deputies to be voted on again. And when Expedito Neto saw some of these additions, so things like the transition rule, and and also things like asset segregation. Um, which we'll talk about, um, he took these out, which uh, was, you know, I think unexpected and people were not happy about it. And it really sort of threw some sand in the gears, essentially, uh, of, 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 this, of this legislation moving through, moving through the House. Um, do we have any idea of like why he decided to take these out? Is this, was he, was this, is this, was this like, you know, the, the you know, a, clever lobbying by by your opponents or was this him just being principled and not thinking this was a good idea or what what was going on on here behind the scenes like why why did these these provisions get removed anybody who wants to take that 
Look, I guess there, there are a few things that um, we can highlight here. So the, 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 he opposed to a few provisions of the Senate, not just the asset segregation one. Um, he also opposed to the um, transition rule to green mining, to other things that were added by the Senate. There is um, always a political struggle for power between houses. Um, so, I mean, approving something that you actually believe you should do, uh, it's something that rapporteurs from different houses um, tend to do politically. So there is, um, there is a political, a political uh, fight, struggle between houses that was an, an, important, an important factor to be analyzed uh, here. Um, every rapporteur has his individual assumptions or beliefs. Um, he mentioned several times that he thought, and that's um, his view, and that's a public record that can be found um, uh, in the videos of the sessions, that he believed that asset segregation could, uh, could be bad for uh, new products. Um, he did believe that adding that right now could prevent innovation, could prevent products that we don't actually know that could exist in such an innovative market. Um, and that's, I mean, his public justification about that. Um, on the transitional rule, he also publicly uh, mentioned that creating new obligations for companies that are currently operating in the market could prevent them to operate. Uh, on the green mining point, he mentioned that um, there was not budget, public budget provision in order to, to make uh, tax um, exemptions for these types of products. So he had a justification for each one of the points, uh, but it's basically his beliefs. And that's part of that's part of uh, of politics, uh, especially when you talk about innovation uh, regulation or technology regulation. We're still building knowledge about it. We're still building knowledge about Web three. And the feeling that I have uh, is that the uh, the rapporteur Espedito Neto uh, tendency was to try to not overregulate right now, but to create standards and see how the market will adjust to those standards. If we need to further regulate in the future, we can do it. But if we over-regulate now, we can get to a point where we're actually crashing the market. Yeah, and on a principle basis, I think that makes sense, right? I think it's, you know, you don't want to, especially with an industry as sort of novel and dynamic as this, where you don't want to get into the business of just over-prescribing things and basically making this look like, you know, finance 2.0 and just it's the same financial system just built on top of you know, crypto rails or whatnot. It kind of takes, removes all the interesting components out of out of crypto, basically. So I, I understand it from a principles basis, but I understand also that there's, you know, there's there's a, a massive sausage making process going on here as well. Um, there's, uh, there's, so, you know, the overseas exchanges such as like Binance and I mean, FTX, they're not around anymore, but they, they were around, they were operating in Brazil. Um, and and also there's the the the, the tradfi banks and, and uh, digital banks as well, which are much more active in crypt in in Brazil as it relates to crypto uh, than they are in places like the U.S. Uh, with regards to like actively like you know, they have brokerages and they're offering these products. So one of the, one of the points I wanted to just check in on really quick was what was the role of of sort of the you know the the tradfi banks and maybe some of these digital banks like NewBank in the lobbying process here was this. Were they heavily involved here? Was this an issue that they that they were that they had much skin in the game on, or was this maybe too small for them to worry about at that stage in the game? Uh, Julian, you want to take that one? Yes, yes, I I, I can take it. Uh, I just wanted to to say that I, I agree completely agree with Karin uh, in terms of uh, uh, the political scenario around uh, the process itself. Uh, we've been passing through a uh, uh, difficult moment uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, legislature itself, uh, there, there, there is a, a lack of understanding between the houses. So uh, a lack of dialogue, a lack of uh, uh, consensus to pass legislations and uh, avoid some of these obstacles that we've been passing through these years. So uh, in terms of involvement of other players, the digital banks and uh, uh, new bank and uh, other players, what we saw uh, a, a deep involvement of them in the uh, around May or April or May uh, of uh, uh, last year uh, when the, the, the bill passed uh, uh, and returned to the, 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 
the Chamber of Deputies. Uh, and we saw it, uh, their involvement as a, as a good thing, as a positive thing, because uh, uh, most of the players try to understand more uh, crypto ecosystem and uh, they started to uh, create more uh, businesses and agreements with other players from the, the crypto world. So when they got involvement in the, on this, we, we started to monitor the, the, the market itself and we saw all these agreements, all this new business uh, being, being uh, uh, started by them. This is good. This is positive because it generates uh, a more business, more agreements uh, naturally. So uh, they, uh, they started to work with, with ourselves here with the, the crypto uh, and uh, they, they helped us very much to make some pressure and push this, this bill forward. There, there was sure. actually, Aaron, um, we managed to, uh, to sign a joint letter of, um, of fintech uh, crypto companies and the National Federation of Banks actually pushing for the approval of the bill. So it was a consensus among the financial tradition or non-traditional sector that we needed to approve a framework for crypto. And of course, the, the, the advancement of, um, of, those, um, of those new, new banks or um, technology banks, players such as Nubank or um, Mercado Libre in, in things like crypto, um, increased their need to monitor and to participate in that debate. As Julian mentioned, they came after us. So of course, uh, we were involved since the beginning. Um, they kind of joined the car while was already moving, but they played a key role uh, on supporting us uh, via associations or jumping into the latter initiative, which uh, had great coverage in press and um, helped us to create the momentum for the voting. Got it, got there, it. And then, and then, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm, uh, there is a, a very, very interesting point here. Not uh, the financial system or, or digital bank companies or crypto companies working together. We had uh, uh, the greatest uh, association for uh, technology companies here in Brazil, Brascom, that involved to push forward this this bill, and they well understand how to 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 you know to help the government to build good public policy for technology, and uh, their interest was only on technology itself. They said, if it's good for blockchain, it's blockchain. It's a it's a way to you know. Uh, create alternatives and uh, uh, promote the uh, the democracy of access. Uh, we will support it. So that's a good point. Great. And I think that's a, that's a huge point that really I think can't be overemphasized is the extent that you you all were able to create you know this coalition of uh, of coalition of the willing I suppose uh, of of a diverse enough group of of other reputable industries and other reputable sectors that. Um, that you know, maybe maybe these deputies and these senators they won't won't necessarily listen to a, you know a lobbyist from a crypto company, but they'll listen to lobbyists from these people. And if they're if they're teamed up with with the crypto industry, then that adds a lot more cachet. So I think that's I mean I think that's that's very different than what you see sort of in the U.S. right now, where I think crypto is sort of you know the the <laughs> is is sort of you know getting you know laying on the curb, getting getting kicked repeatedly by everybody, right? It's uh, <laughs> so. Um, everybody's favorite whipping boy, I suppose. Um, so I'd like to, I want to touch on that a little bit later as well, um, come back to that, but I'd like to kind of finish, let's, let's kind of round out the year and the course of events here, how everything came together. I mean, I think, Julian, to your point about the election season coming up, there was, um, you know, going back to last summer, uh, there was an urgency to get these things, uh, get this thing moving, get this thing passed before election season kicked in. Uh, unfortunately, you were not able to do that uh, and the, the clock kind of ran out. Um, you know, kind of early August when, when uh, the, the, the camera went into to recess for, you know, kind of went into campaign season. Um, I mean, what was the feeling around that time? I, I know just in, in talking to people, there was a lot of folks I talked to who were very skeptical that this would pass at all in 2022. Um, you know, a lame duck, you know, uh, a lame duck sort of session seemed unlikely or passing this in a lame duck session seemed really unlikely, um, just given other priorities. But what was, you know, kind of around like August, last August when, when uh, the, the time kind of ran out, 
the clock ran out. What was the what was the sentiment? Were you were you still optimistic, or was it still um, you know things are looking a bit uh, difficult? Julie, yeah, that, take that? yeah, yeah. When when as I we, we said to you previously, yeah, uh, uh, Karen and I, we we are very optimistic. In the, in the in the essence, right? <laughs> in the essence, uh, uh, we like to 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 fight until the end of uh, uh, the final match. I I, I think it's uh, uh, it's important not to to lose our beliefs here because on the democratic uh, uh, standards, uh, we do understand we have some time to you know uh, push forward some awareness from the, the legislators for the legislators. Uh, that that's that's a matter that that's it's worthy it's important for the the whole economy let's accelerate it let's be on the vanguard of uh, globally on the uh, crypto ecosystem and uh, of course there was a one component very very strong component was the FTX bankruptcy uh, mm. was very important that at that time and show the the problem of uh, Asset segregation. So the the whole uh, discussions at that time was asset segregation. What's 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 it and then in how and why uh, uh, crypto ecosystem needs to adopt it. Of course, uh, at that time uh, the rapporteur or Spigetonato didn't want to to get into the the the, the draft, but uh, was a very important discussion. Uh, around our system. That's a, a very nice and important benchmarking for the, the traditional financial system that we needed to put on the on our draft bill because uh, it's a it's a good example. It's a way to protect consumers and investors. Uh, so yeah, and we decided to unify all the industry associations around it, and we got a seven industry associations, I think so, seven industry associations, uh, including the traditional one. And uh, we, we sent this letter, we, we made some noise around the, all the media uh, to pass the, the legislation in the end. And this, and this was right around the same, this, this letter, this coalition you put together, this was right around the same, this was basically the same time as the, as the FTX collapse in early November, right? Yeah. Um, and so the, I guess, the timing couldn't have been better from that, from that vantage point, at least. Um, like, Karin, why don't you talk a bit about how, I mean, like, it seemed like there's a, just a flurry of activity in those those weeks there where you had uh, Expedito Neto actually unexpectedly lost his reelection bid. Um, so that seemed that seemed like it was sort of another, you know, death knell for this legislation when that happened. Uh, and then you guys were working behind the scenes to put together this letter. And then obviously the FTX debacle happens and that whole thing unravels. And then now you're in this position where you've, you've got this coalition of, of different uh, non-crypto industry sectors that are saying, hey, we need to pass this. But then you also have the news reports of the media uh, saying like, look, like if we don't do this, like this is what's going to happen. Um, talk a bit about how, like, how did all the momentum kind of uh, uh, you know, propel forward from, from all those events? Sure. And let me charge her away. I do that. Um, so look, elections are always um, a disruptor factor for Congress continuity of activities. Um, and when um, there is the non-re-election of a rapporteur, there are two different paths that we can follow. Um, there are those who actually don't go back to Brasilia. Um, and there are those who actually understand their mission of approving something, um, which I think was the case of Espejito Neto. He understood that this would be his legacy. Um, so even though elections impacted activities, um, he actually came back um, and approved the bill um, after not getting reelected because he understood, and we talked a lot with him, me and Julian about that, he understood that that would be his legacy. He's actually now the guy who approved the crypto, the crypto first regulatory ecosystem um, in, in Latin America, not just in, in, in Brazil, one of the first in the world. So it's something that he needs to be really proud of. Um, and he understood 
that it would be important for his political career as well to play that role um, mm. as the father of, a, of the crypto bill, um, as he actually mentions, um, he mentioned a few times for us. The, 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 the letter came a little bit before the FTX collapse. Um, none, I mean, no one knew the FTX collapse was going to happen. Um, we were actually at the, the same day in the same event debating regulation, me and Julian. Uh, we were the only two people on stage stating that it was going to be approved um, when uh, we released the letter and then FTX came. Um, and of course, cryptocurrencies companies, I mean, investors and government authority, uh, authorities, they were all processing and analyzing what happened with FTX, um, which impacted the entire sector. And, and here at Beto, we, we are sure that that situation actually represented an opportunity. It represented a, a great opportunity for us to place the core important things that needed to be placed in the market and analyze parameters of trust, of transparency, of risk management, um, through the entire industry. And that also helped us to speed up the process of the bill. Um, I mean, when we emerged in, in 2014, there was no regulatory clarity at all. Um, we seek for licenses, as I already mentioned here, um, and not having clarity, not having transparency for users, for investors, and so on and so forth, it's something that needed to be changed. And FTX helped us understand that that change was needed and that that change was urgent. So summing up, um, even though elections had an impact, if you sum up the letter, the FTX collapse, and uh, Espedito Neto seeing that as his legacy, I guess we have a combo of things that created a good ecosystem, not by hazard, let me say, uh, FTX was by hazard, but not the letter and not Espedito that was built uh, throughout policy plans and policy activities. Um, but we had a sum of factors that actually got an interesting momentum for us to vote and approve the balanced law that we did. Yeah, just yeah it was fast. really, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Julian. Any yeah, call just you want to add there? Very fast. Uh, my, my sensation here is, uh, I, I think I'm sure that Gary will agree, we just surfed the sensitiveness and emotional momentum for Spigito Neto, and for the whole market <laughs> was very complicated with sensitive moment for the, the market because of FTX and in the case of Spedit of course was a, a very strong sensitive moment for moment for, for him in terms of uh, elections and uh, uh, and how he, lo he lose the, the contender. Got it, got it. And it, I mean, it definitely felt like a, a perfect storm type of moment, right? Where you had all these these factors colliding, and, and it like this 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 sort of had to happen in this window, at least by the end of 2022, uh, because if not, then who knows what's going to happen in the next Congress, uh, especially with Expedito Neto not being reelected. Um, so really, getting that over the finish line before the end of the year was a, was a huge, a uh, huge, uh, huge win. Um, quickly, and, and I wanted to ask quick about, you know, how how would you respond to some of the, you know, there's been some criticisms from others in the industry that uh, locally in Brazil, that this legislation, you know, it, it's, it's, there's, it doesn't take into account sort of the, the interests of startups or of, of people who are interested or of the peer to peer segment of crypto. And that it's, it's, you know, it's only looking after the interest of the big exchanges. And, and I think this is sort of a loaded question, just in the sense that like anytime there's regulation of any sort, there's always, inherently some sort of like kicking away the ladder uh, type of uh, impact that is that is felt. But um, I guess how, you know, what would your response be to, to critics in the industry who might, might, you know, might level these charges saying that this bill is, is sort of not really representative of the entire industry as a whole in Brazil? Well, I, <laughs> yes, it's, in some ways, it's kind of a philosophical uh, way to think now or to discuss. Uh, we've been debating in all forums, uh, seminars and conferences. Uh, and I, I like to say we need to put some color on the regulation now and not to lose the opportunity to uh, 
to continue to having this uh, uh, freedom of access, uh, democracy of access, possibilities and alternatives of uh, uh, financial solutions, and to use this technology for other traditional markets in Brazil. We need to uh, foresee what, what, what could be the, the possibilities using the blockchain and the DLTs. So when the people from the, the old blockchain think, think, <laughs> thinking uh, started to say, uh, if, if you put regulation, you will kill the blockchain. I, I disagree. If you put some regulation now, you, you will be able to protect the system, protect the technology uh, to continue to, pro to provide the decentralizing uh, solutions for everyone. That's it. We need to put now or we will lose. Karen, do you want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, I, 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 I see the, the, the bill and the law as the tip of the iceberg. There's still much to be um, debated. And um, the process is like a fairly long secondary regulation process to come. Uh, we still have a lot to, to debate in the end. Um, and and I, I see that we gave a really interesting first step. I mean, providing general uh, guidelines on important things like transparency, um, uh, KYC, and so on and so forth. So now we get to get to a place where we actually have more granular information about specific points that we need to actually go deeper. The law, the way it is written now, um, will only have uh, actual impact once we start to debate secondary regulation. Um, and let's be honest, we are never going to have a perfect law. I mean, uh, we're always going to point out something that it's not there and should be, or an incorrect taxonomy of something, um, or we will criticize an article. And that's part of um, having a 513 House of Representatives uh, um, and um, 81 senators senate debating something. You have so many different hats. In the end, uh, you're going to have a piece of each one of them in a law that it's going to be approved. So it's not going to be perfect. It is not perfect, but it's a good first step. What we got to do now is actually guarantee that secondary relation process will be um, open and ample enough for everybody to be able to participate. And I'm sure that the central bank being the, the regulator uh, is actually going to do that through public consultations, through debates, consulting associations, and so on and so forth. So this way we can have the mindset of all that are going to be impacted to this regulation actually being taken into consideration when further developing the rules. Let's talk a bit more about uh, this theme of what comes next, right? Because really, the the leg passing the legislation is really just sort of you know it's it's one battle in a in a in a war, right? It's like you know you have it's, it's a series of multiple battles. This is one battle that you won. Now this the next battle is more of this kind of the technical uh, uh, secondary regulation, the the establishing of licensing, establishing the rules and the regime, and how to how all these processes work. Um, I know there's there's been some concern voiced by by folks in the industry uh, that this the it's been two months now since the legislation was passed the the executive branch still has not nominated formally nominated the central bank as the the regulator here uh, even though people expect it will happen but it hasn't officially happened and until it officially happens no work can really be done on actually creating this this licensing structure that the bill uh, that the bill mandates. Um, and it doesn't appear to be the case that the Lula administration is uh, sees this as a very like high priority at the moment. Um, and also there's been political unrest and a bunch of other things happening that have kind of, you know, been distractions, I guess, as far as we're concerned, what we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, I think I just wanted to get your sense on like what needs to happen in the next six months or so to really, to, to really like implement these, these, these rules and get these things kind of hashed out and what are the kind of the main blockers at this point as far as as, as getting these uh, up and running 
And I mean, will it be possible that we have a, a, like a licensed crypto or a, a licensing framework in place by the end of the year here, uh, by the end of 2023? Um, Julian, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. I can, I can start and Kevin uh, can complete uh, uh, some of the thoughts. Yeah, I, I think the next step, the first one and the, the priority one, the number zero of priority is uh, the decree indicating the regulator. We still don't have uh, uh, this degree, uh, this decree, and uh, we, are, we are working, starting some dialogues with the government and the chief of staff of presidency asking them, where is the decree? Because uh, we just have uh, in front of us five months until the, the, the law being enacted, enacted. So the first one is, is this one. Uh, the second one, I, I think it's, uh, of course, uh, I, I think the central bank is, 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 is already working with uh, a framework of regulation uh, specifically for licensing and non-authorization for all the, the exchange uh, in Brazil who wants to, to work with it. Uh, the characteristics of this this regulation, I, I'm not sure what they are, what are they going to uh, uh, enact. But uh, I think in, on public consultations we will be have some some uh, clarifications here, uh, and in it's how and in why uh, the, the industry association needs to be very close to the government. Uh, to put some color, to put some clarifications, how we work, how the the, the whole industry works in terms of our business, and uh, <clears throat> to put some suggestions for this uh, uh, public consultations for uh, specific, uh, maybe specific licensing for all for the whole players that wants to work with it. Um, we 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 already know that. The central bank established uh, a tokenization group, internal tokenization group, to understand the whole picture of uh, uh, banking products that it's able to uh, uh, to be tokenized, and uh, all the, the solutions around banking to use this technology. Uh, that's uh, a group that we need. We should. Stay very close to them, and of course we have the CVM or Securities Exchange Committee that is, is already uh, evaluating and uh, studying the whole securities that it's possible to tokenize also. Uh, and, and there is, in addition to that, there is the open call for papers of the central bank as well that also will actually um, foster the debate. Internally, I guess the, the progress, Aaron, is not always clear for everyone, especially in the case of, of the central bank, because they're technically super hermetic. So their technical groups are already working on secondary regulation, um, which is not open um, to the general public to understand in, in technical terms what they are producing in terms of material, of content, of resolutions, of, of secondary regulation, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's it's clear for us that they are already working uh, through um, working groups, through open calls of papers, and technically mm -hmm. also internally. So when the moment comes, when we have the decree signed, establishing um, hopefully them as the as the regulator, uh, and when we start to debate it via public consultation together with associations and so on and so forth, they can already present something so society can actually start to collaborate. So there there is progress. Um, it's not always on surface, uh, but what I think it's important for us to understand is that things are not stopped because the decree wasn't signed. Things are moving, but we do need the decree to be signed for actually trigger the process, which does not mean that we as, um, as public entities working and debating, we as associations, we as society are not uh, debating how secondary regulation is going to, to, to be actually in fact. Got it. Got it. And I think the one of the, the the big things that was not ultimately passed as part of this legislation into the law was this this asset segregation provision. You know, this was this was obviously the source of a lot of controversy and, and a lot of uh, you know, a lot of back and forth. And I think now the expectation is that okay, the central bank is going to try to include this as, as part of their rulemaking as part of their licensing structure. Um, 
and they've, they've said so publicly that they, they will try to include this. But I think I've, I've also seen some, some, some other critiques saying that the legality of this isn't necessarily, um, you know, cut and dry, I guess, which, which opens the door up for potential like lawsuits and litigation and, and other types of things like that to, to essentially throw sand in the gears. Um, how, I mean, how, how long of a process do we, do we have here on this, on this more technical rulemaking front here? Are you expecting there to be sort of like a lawfare battle here uh, between the various players involved? Um, or is, is the central bank sort of, I mean, do we, have, do we have confidence that, okay, these guys know what they're doing and they're going to, you know, they've, they've got a general idea of what they're doing and they're, they've, they've got the path forward. They've done this before. They're, they're the experts. We'll let them handle it. Or are you expecting this to be a pretty like uh, drawn out battle similar to the, to the, to the legislative effort from last year? Uh, Karen, you want to take, take that? On, on mass segregation specifically, there's, um, there, there's legal uncertainty on if the central bank can or cannot move forward through secondary regulation because there's no provision on the law. And when, mm. when there's no provision on the law, there is legal doubt on if they could or could not evolve via secondary regulation. What can happen to solve that issue faster? And me and Julian were actually um, discussing that a few months ago because we both wanted asset segregation to be approved in the law. Um, in the case of Vito, we do segregate assets of our clients. So that's an important rule in our mind um, to be in, uh, in the regulatory framework for any crypto uh, regulation around the world. Um, so not having that passed in the law, there is one way for us to try to solve that fast, which is via medida um, provisoria, which is a similar to an executive order in the U.S. Um, and the central bank can work on that together with the Ministry of Finance and present it to Congress. And it needs to be evaluated by Congress in 90 days. And it has immediate mm -hmm. effect. Um, so if we have the medida provisoria or an executive order like type of regulation, proposing that will be it will be a way for us to solve the non-provision on the law um, issue and provide the ability for the central bank to evolve um, one thing that julian mentioned and i think it's very important he mentioned to me um, is that even though the, the it wasn't approved the debate was actually fostered and the debate it's now um, it, it started and it is clear for the ecosystem and especially after ftx that we do need to approve or at least to start to debate how the structure of asset segregation is going to start in Brazil. Um, so that's one point. To your second point on timing, um, I like to make a comparison with the Brazilian GDPR, our uh, general law on privacy. So the, the, the Brazilian GDPR actually started and it was approved in Congress in 2018. And we're still discussing via secondary regulation how this is going to be implemented for different pillars. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see us finishing the process of secondary regulation up to the end of this year. I see it happening through two, three, four, maybe more years ahead. And of course, things will change and evolve and, and we will keep redebating and changing secondary regulation and improving and making it make more sense um, for the ecosystem and depending on how technologies evolve, how users are going to use it, new uses, new projects, and so on and so forth. So I see this as a continuous process of improvement of secondary regulation that will happen through many, many, many years. Great, great. Um, well, we're about out of time here. So I just want to throw one final question to the both of you, which was, uh, so both of you have, have been, you know, government affairs professionals your whole career, lobbying on behalf of variety of industries. Uh, tech, tech sectors, tech companies, as well as non-tech. Um, really wanted to ask about just how does, how does this particular victory and, and getting this law passed sort of stack up against other experiences you've had at other points of your career working for other companies or other sectors? Uh, is there, I mean, Karen, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, in other industries, you're generally advocating against regulation and here you're advocating for regulation, which is a, a bit of a different uh, approach. But um, is uh, anything? How does this sort of stack up in your in your body of body of uh, career work at this point, um, Julian? You want to take that first? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, after twenty one years working with uh, public policy, and of course, uh, uh, I've been 
uh, working with uh, uh, great challenges in my life. Uh, uh, technology, uh, as I said to you, uh, technology is, uh, has the capacity of uh, changing people's lives and, uh, and, and it's embarked with a lot of uh, uh, causes for society. Uh, I, I started to understood, um, I, I tried, uh, uh, I started to understand uh, what, what building public policy is uh, so important in, in terms of uh, uh, changing people's life and creating causes for, for society. I mean, uh, uh, the whole picture, not working with just monitoring the government or tackle, tackling the uh, 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 bad bills or, or drafting that is, is not good for, for the industry. Not, not so that I, I started to, to think more proactively uh, to seeing the whole picture, to seeing the, the, what people needs. And uh, the whole process is, is, is based on uh, building a very nice uh, uh, communication process through the society. It's not just dealing with uh, policymakers at, at all. It's, it's, it's the way how to changing people's mind and to show them this is important for you. This, is, this will uh, 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 change your life in an economic way. It will provide you more access and more solutions for your life. So uh, that's, that's, that's now it bears in my mind the importance of building public policy. In terms of career, it's a, it's a great, great opportunity. I think working for technology and specifically for blockchain technology, it's, it's, it's been so, so nice. Sounds like you got red-pilled, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, hey, that's what we're all about here in uh, crypto. Right? So once you get red-pilled, you can't go back. Karen, yeah. what about you? I mean, you couldn't agree more. And I guess approving, approving a law and um, perceiving that you were part of that process through building the narrative towards something that you really believe in. Um, it's actually a key milestone for the career of any public policy professional. And it is not different in, in, in that case. I mean, you feel that you're part of a process um, of approving something that it's actually good and balanced um, and I mean, I feel very proud of, of being able to participate of that process. I also feel very proud to be able to work for a company um, that believes that regulation is good, that actually um, already is regulated end to end and um, wants to build and debate regulation towards the, the, the ecosystem with regulators all over the world. But I guess most important thing, and, and Julian touched upon that a little bit, is what is the impact that that regulation will have in people's lives? I mean, in, in the end, we're actually providing a way for people to move their money fast in a more transparent manner, in a more secured manner. Um, and we the approving that law will actually help them to do that in a more secure way. So we're providing security, transparency to users via regulation. And that's, that's actually priceless. Great, great. Well, thanks so much to both of you for coming on. And it's, it's been really great having you both here and sharing your stories, sharing a bit of some of the behind the scenes of, of how, how you're able to pass this bill last year and um, how you're working to bring uh, crypto into the mainstream here in Brazil here through the regulatory process. So I uh, really appreciate both of your time. And um, why don't you just give a quick uh, shout out to like, how can folks find you or, or learn more about you and or personally or, your, or the companies that you work for? Karen, you want to take that? Sure. I mean, you, you, you can all find me on LinkedIn, Karen Duque. Um, and you can look into Beto at LinkedIn, but also our blog, which is actually super interesting. We have updates all the time on important subject matters for, um, for the market. Um, I'll share it with you, Aaron, the, the um, address so you can actually have in, in the post and folks can actually look into that. You can also, I mean, download the app and follow us on social media. Uh, there's always interesting content there. 
uh, on our side, on influencer side and so on and so forth. Um, I guess that's the best way to follow the news um, regarding the ecosystem and regarding what, what Bito is doing. And then Julian, how can folks find you and follow what uh, MB is doing? Yeah, uh, the same as, as Gary, we have a, a lot of content uh, on linkaging. Uh, we've been working so, so hard on that. Uh, we have Reinaldo, Roberto, publishing a lot of uh, uh, news and uh, 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 business model that we've, we've been working on it. So we can find uh, on Julian Dutra or Roberto Dagnoni or Reinaldo Rabelo. There are a lot of content, very, very nice content about, uh, especially for tokenization yeah, or next step for blockchain industry. Perfect. Well, thanks again, both. And thanks to everybody for listening. And we will see you next time. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.